Good morning. Herb Oscar Anderson. Hello and welcome back to the return of the morning mayor and thank you once again for spending some time with us because this project is pretty unique and pretty special and we are stoked that you are here today we have a longtime broadcaster in the capital region 63 years to be exact at the same job which is unheard of in broadcast mr joe condon I would like to introduce uh, Mr. Joe Condon, who was a very good friend of my father, as well as a radio personality in his own right. And I just want to ask some questions of you, uh, Joe, and also just talk about my dad. I'm his daughter, so of course I have a lot of different memories, but you know radio, you know WABC, you know broadcasting, you know the history of my father. So when did you first meet my father? First met your uh, dad. Well, WABC was an ABC uh, radio network affiliate, and they uh, ran, when your dad got off the air, between 10 and 11, the Don McNeil Breakfast Club. And one day in 1964, my parents would take us down to New York City every year to see the uh, Easter show at Radio City Music Hall. And one day, through a friend, I got a chance to visit the uh, ABC building, and I went into the floor where WABC was, and the Don McNeil Breakfast Club was on the air, and Rick Scalar, the program director of WABC, was having a meeting of all the disc jockeys. And after the meeting, I asked if I could meet your dad, and your dad came over and spoke with my father and me, and we had a very nice conversation. And then the next time we reconnected, uh, my wife was editor of the Troy Record newspaper at the time, and there was an article about Herb Anderson was going to MC the a prairie in Hoosick Falls, who I called your house, and I think I got you on the phone, and I said, is this the same Herb Oscar Anderson that was on uh, WABC? And you said, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> he came to the phone. And you don't have to ask him twice. I mean. <laughs> and we had a nice conversation, and a very nice, very nice man. Yeah, he loved, and, he and loved I'm radio. Really, and I'm honored that you would invite me to be here this morning to talk about your dad, this wonderful man. Well, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that you consented to come in here and do this because, like I said, you really know a lot about radio and the importance of what WABC was at that time. And my dad, being the morning mayor, you probably know more about him than I do. And so that's why we have you on today to get to the, the, the bottom of his story. You know, why was he so popular on the radio? When I listen to his show, it just seems like the man just did commercial after commercial after commercial. But um, I, I guess... It, People to this day still, if they hear he's was Herb Oscar Anderson or I'm his daughter, they're like, oh, my, you know, my aunt used to listen to him or it, it, they still have the connection to him and uh, what he did. So why do you think he had such a connection? I, I mean, listening to a show, it's not like he could talk like we're talking now. So how did he how did he reach out and, and get all these people? Well, he came to uh, New York City from 50,000 watt WBBM in Chicago. He was doing afternoon drive there, and he went to WABC to do morning drive. And he is—he was a very talented man. He was able to communicate, and with the and WABC was a music-intensive radio station, and he used the time that he had to convey his personality, his warmth, and communicate with the listeners. And, you know, it was the most listened to radio station in North America at that time. 
So how, what was his share in, in, in ratings? I mean, how many people would listen to him? Well, the uh, weekly cum of the radio station was seven and a half million people. And um, we, before going on the air this morning, we talked about this, that WABC Signal still shoots up the Hudson River to Albany, New York. And at the time, they would beat the uh, smaller radio stations in uh, the capital region. Also, you and I were talking about this on the phone the other day. There's a, a famous air check of Dan Ingram uh, go opening a show, and he said, well, the ratings came out today, and WABC is number seven. He pauses for a second in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so it was a powerhouse. Oh, yeah, definitely. And... Um, also, WABC was number two in Philadelphia, and the national advertisers appreciated that because Coca-Cola or Pepsi could buy WABC in New York, and they would still reach the Philadelphia market, and that gave them more money to spend for Philadelphia on other options. So uh, when you bought WABC, you really yeah. got national impact. And uh, I, I think I'm correct in saying this, that he had like 25% share his show of the morning market? I don't know. Yeah. I, the only one I heard about, I know Dan Ingram had a 27 in the afternoon. Yeah. But I, uh, you see your dad, your dad wouldn't brag. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. He, he really, he loved to talk radio. Oh, he yeah. He loved, loved to talk radio, but he never really, that's why I'm coming to you. I never really knew exactly um, his story on the radio. So. And besides uh, being a disc jockey, he also recorded on Columbia, RCA, uh, Laurie and Verve Records. And yeah. I have all those albums at home and all those 45s at home. Yeah, I think that's really what he wanted to be was a singer. And, right. And I mean, Joe, come on, a rock and roll disc jockey starting his show with a gospel song, mm -hmm. uh, singing along with the records, uh, uh, singing Hello Again and Happy Feeling. It, to me, this does, does not sound like the typical, normal rock and roll disc jockey um, that you think of, but he was. Oh, we got to do the happy feeling one more time. Do you remember? <laughs> All right, let's do it, everybody, one more time. When I was a little feller, my papa used to say to me, Son, you'll find that happy feeling a simple technicality. At WABC, all of the disc jockeys sounded like the radio station, but at the same time, all of the disc jockeys were different. Yeah. And it worked. Right. Yeah, it was like a coming together uh that maybe happens once every every blue moon. All these disc jockeys sort of fed off of each other. My dad was like the diesel in the morning, pulling the train, and everybody else was, you know, coming along behind. Everybody had their show and their listening audience. I told your brother John once, and then we said this on the phone the other day that uh, I always felt like listening to your dad, uh, listening to your dad this morning was like listening to your father, and in the afternoon listening to Dan Ingram was like listening to your wise ass brother. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he had a whole different dad had the housewives. He had the kids going to school. He had a whole different kettle of fish that he was selling to. So, uh, yeah, it, it, in the afternoon, probably were the kids who were getting out of school with their transistor radios and uh, plugging in and listening to what's going on. But it, it is interesting. I remember going to visit him and actually hearing his voice coming 
in the morning with the cabbies, and every voice I heard was my father. I remember you telling me that. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. So it, it was probably a very, very exciting time. And uh, just a lot of things were happening at that time. The music was changing. And um, it's a part of history that I don't think people realize what a disc jockey is. My, my nephew didn't even know what a disc jockey is. He said, what is, what's a disc jockey? And I said, well, before, when they first started radio, you were personalities. You know, uh, Arthur Godfrey, they were personalities. You know, I Love Lucy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Jack Benny show on radio, and eventually they transferred from radio over to television. Right, right. And then there become the disc jockey, the guy that's spinning the top 40, whatever, and uh, bringing out the new music. And that was a whole different thing. But nowadays, people just push a button on their radio and... You don't even have to tune it in. You don't have to try to get a good signal or anything. It just is there. And uh, I can probably attest to your career because you've been on the radio for how many years? 60. 60 years. Okay. So you can see how radio for you has probably personally changed. It it has and it hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's a long story. But uh, the one thing, uh, when your dad started at WABC, you had the uh, surf music you know, Jan and Dean, the Beach Boys, and then eventually the British Invasion started, right. and then the Beatles came along. And also at the same time, uh, that was the start of the Vietnam War era, and that was a very tough time. And in fact, your all of the uh, shows at WABC were air-checked and sent over to Vietnam to be broadcast to the uh, troops serving in uh, Vietnam. Yeah. And your dad told me the originally that they edited out the commercials and all of the troops complained because the commercials were a part of America. So then the Defense Department changed it and they put uh, back the commercials in when your dad... So people were listening to your dad in Vietnam. WABC! Time, time now is eight minutes past nine. Say, girls, let me ask you, do you ever get tired of talking to the same people every day? How'd you like a chance to talk to people all over the country in Las Vegas, Miami, San Francisco, and Hollywood? Well, that's what you do, you know, when you're an operator for New York Telephone, an equal opportunity employer, and you'll get lots of fun out of it because you never know where your next call will be or who you're going to be talking to. Yeah, I, I remember my father saying that President Johnson asked him to get involved with this. I still have some of the recordings of the, the Oh, those shows. are the Vista shows. Yeah, the Vista shows. Right, that's a different thing. That's it. What is a Vista show? The Vista show, Volunteers and Services to America, that was a syndicated show. Uh, Vice President Humphrey actually asked oh. your dad to do that. Oh, okay. And See went... why he's here? <laughs> <laughs> he's going to keep me flying a straight and narrow. <laughs> and uh, that was syndicated on uh, radio stations all across the country, and you're... Uh, Okay. You know, that would be on those. That was, you know. But also WABC did send their radio shows over for the right. Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's that's interesting. I, I didn't know. Let's see. I don't I don't know everything. And your dad also, <laughs> not, not, none of us do, and your dad also told me that uh, they were not allowed to talk about the Vietnam War on the earth. The music reflected, you know, the Vietnam War, what was going on, even destruction at the time by Barry McGuire. And... The newscasts contained the information about the Vietnam War, but uh, they wanted the radio station to be light and not, you know, bring people down. I think when Dad was, what station did he go on when he came back from ABC? Was it WHN or WOR? He went to a WHN and did mornings there for a while. They were adult contemporary, yeah. and then he left WHN, 
and went over to do Afternoon Drive. And that was a 50,000-watt radio station as well. Then he went over to WOR Radio and did Afternoon Drive on 50,000-watt WOR for years as well. Right. And I remember him saying that, I think uh, it was probably WHN, that they didn't want him to say at the end of his show, remember the MIA and the POWs. And he did it every single show, even though he was told not to say anything about it, because that war was not a popular war. That war... You know, you didn't want to talk about it, but my dad uh, believed in it, and he wanted to make sure they weren't forgotten. So I remember he said he he did that at the end of every show. Well, actually, uh, coincidentally, we're talking about it. We're dating this uh, show, but as of this morning, this is the uh, 50th anniversary of the end of the Vietnam War, and there's going to be uh, different uh, celebrations at military, remembrances at military uh, cemeteries in the capital region today. Oh, well, I remember going down to Washington, D.C. and seeing that monument and seeing soldiers. I could cry about it now, just placing their hands on somebody that they knew or a brother or a sister, and it was quite moving. And I, I really, uh, I think my dad tried his best to remember those soldiers, uh, even just saying that little bit at the end, please remember them. And so, uh, yeah, he was sort of... He did things his own way. I mean, I admire him about that. And I'm, he wasn't a cookie cutter. I think that's what, when he was on WMCA, um, what did they call her? The Black Widow? She wanted all the disc jockeys to wear the same type of sweatshirts and hats and go out. And my dad was like, I'm not having any of that. <laughs> he did not follow that. Carla, <laughs> I, I know who you're talking about. I am not going there. Yeah, okay. Okay. But anyway, she was, I, she was, uh, ahead of her time. She was way ahead of her time, but she had a certain idea of, of how she wanted her her DJs to be. And my dad, coming from an orphanage, was wore the same thing every day, stood in line, and was just a number. And I'm sure that just sort of rubbed him the wrong way. And maybe they would have had a better working relationship if she sort of knew that about him. But, you know... I don't know. Well, what happened was your dad went from WBBM, 50,000 watt WBBM Chicago to WABC. And when his contract expired at the time, WMCA was very interested in him. And he went over to work at WMCA and do mornings there. And uh, then eventually uh, he, he was clobbering where he had worked WABC. So WABC brought him back. And he told me that it was uh, very difficult. Uh, you know, he he never, your father never badmouthed anybody. He was working for Ruth Meyer, who was probably the first uh, yeah. program director, female program director she of a radio station, a major, major radio station in the United States of America. Yeah. But he said it was very tough because he had to go back and fight what he built at WMCA. And How did he do it? How did he manage to get released from his non-compete to go back over? Because there, there had to have been non-competes back then, right? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like today that wouldn't happen that easily, just be- if it was a big market, just because of contracts. His, his contract expired. It was and expired. He, just, he, went, oh, okay. and he went back to WABC. So he was free agent. He didn't just leave in the middle of his thing. Well, I don't know the details, but yeah. his contract expired at WABC. He went over to WMCA, and then his contract expired at WMCA, and he went back to WABC. We gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. Probably. Carlo would know. Yeah, I know. I know the details. Do you? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No. Uh-oh. I just, like I said yeah, uh, yesterday, that I know a lot of the ads. I think I have his last show. I don't know if you send it to me when he was on WMCA, where he was saying, don't worry, I'll be back on the air. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that was his last show. At MCA. Yeah. And I know the ads at one time, he was blacked out. Like his face was blacked out. They couldn't say who was coming. So I don't know. Maybe there was a little bit of... Well, he was still on the air at MCA. That's why that... Those yeah. ads went out before he left WMCA. That's why. Okay. okay. That's why those looked that way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because they couldn't say because he was still under contract. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. There's a lot of gaps, you know. And, uh, you know, I never really... I never really thought of my dad as a disc jockey and on the radio, so I wasn't really even really interested in what he was, what he was doing. And now that he's passed away, and um, I went over his his stuff, and I was like, oh my goodness, he was really quite an in person important person in radio at that time. And uh, I just never really felt that because he wasn't the norm, he never really got the credit that was due to him. Yeah, I don't know. Do you feel that? I mean, that's me personally. I know he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a, a disc jockey. I know he's in there. But I just never really felt that, you know, they thought maybe he was a, a Midwesterner, sort of a, go back to calling the hogs. That's what somebody said to him. He should go back calling hogs in the Midwest. And I just felt because he was just so s simple and so basic that he wasn't putting on any show that people just sort of look past him, you know? Well, I was in all of it. <laughs> well, I'm glad <laughs> and, somebody was. <laughs> no, and a lot of people were. I mean, my goodness gracious. There was, um, your dad Your dad and your mom were kind enough to invite Kathy and myself to the uh, WCBS Rock and Roll Radio Great Reunions. And uh, in fact, Kathy and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, you know, I was asking her for ideas to uh, talk about this morning. And I remember Kathy and I were sitting in the record library with Dan Ingram, Charlie Greer, and your dad, and uh, the show CBS at the time was being was broadcast from Black Rock in New York City, and the throngs of people for that three day rock and roll weekend were incredible, and and they were stunned, and you know they never realized the impact that they had on uh, the population in the northeastern United States. I mean, he, they, he never realized his impact. It was it was fascinating. Like I'm like, you don't get what you don't get what you did. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's why what was my opening question? How, how did he connect to people? Because you listen to his shows, it's like, uh, got to do the weather, got to do traffic, got to do three commercials, play two songs, got to do a commercial, got to do commercial. I think I remember sometimes when you come would come and visit my dad that dad said it became just commercials that it was commercial after commercial after commercial. It became too commercialized. Does that sound like? sort of what the radio because it was so popular everybody wanted to advertise on that and it became just in no way of reaching out and talking to the masses which is i think really what he wanted to do well you've got to realize at that time that uh abc was the third network and cbs and nbc already were on the air with television stations so when abc started doing television they had to go to the affiliates that were left in market. So they didn't have the best affiliates. So for many, many years, the ABC radio division supported the television network. And so the money that WABC made at WLS in Chicago, another 50,000 watt top 40 blow, uh, blow torch, you know, supported the uh, network. So they had to make the money. And, yeah. also, and also, you know, again, with WABC being the, the most listened to radio station in North America, I mean, you know, like, wow. Now, was that like the second uh, golden age of radio? I know when radio first started, everybody was sitting around their radio listening to the radio, and then TV came out. 
Right. And then radio sort of took a back burner, or was radio always there as, as much as it was? Well, you know, what happened was when television started and shows like I Love Lucy and Jack Benny, uh, you know, started going to uh, television and leaving radio, Brady was still extremely popular, and thus uh, the evolution of the disc jockey playing. Uh, in fact, the first disc jockey show that I ever heard um, was an air check made in 1939. Arthur Godfrey was the first disc jockey, and he was doing the morning show uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., and it was uh, September 1939, and you they would, in the newscast, talk about the Germans invading Poland. Oh, wow. And the war was starting, and of course, we all knew how it, it was fascinating to listen to because we all knew how it, you know, ended up turning out. And I remember Dad had to go up against him in a time slot with that light and lively. That, right. That, that was ABC's big uh, experiment. I right. guess everything but the kitchen sink was thrown in. It, he was MC, so it was big band and singing but he did not fare well against Arthur Godfrey. Well, also, too, your dad, I don't know whether you know this or not, Merv Griffin, before he went to television, had a radio show, and your father was Merv Griffin's last radio announcer on his show before Merv Griffin went to television, and also occasionally your dad would sing on a Merv Griffin show. I never knew that. I never, never knew that. In fact, Westinghouse, that was syndicated by Westinghouse. Westinghouse also syndicated the Mike Douglas show. And your dad would occasionally drive from New York City down to Philadelphia and appear on the uh, Mike Douglas show. I remember one day he announced, uh, you know, I'm going to be on this afternoon of Mike Douglas show. So I got out of school and ran home to watch your, your, <laughs> your dad on national television. I remember watching that. I remember watching it and I was like, oh, there's dad. <laughs> <laughs> You know, dad's on TV. Okay. Can I have my, my yodel or my hot dog? <laughs> this is a your, re kid. your reaction reminds me of uh, my son. One time I was broadcasting from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, I had a song on the air. And I said to my son, who came out to Cleveland uh, with Kathy and myself, what do you think your dad's broadcasting from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? He says, you know, dad, you've seen one control room. You've seen them all. I'm going to go out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How often did your uh, did your family air check you when you were on the air? Did you ever get feedback, like live feedback from your wife or your kids during the day? Like when you get back from work? Like, I heard you this afternoon and you did blah, 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 blah. Did they ever do that to you? Uh, Kathy occasionally would critique me. <laughs> <laughs> that Joe, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my mom, um, who is probably the, the uh, sweetest woman there is. You're certainly right. Yeah, never says anything bad about anybody, but she would have to listen to every single show. And when my dad went on to entertain on cruise ships and sing, she would have to listen and go to every single show. My dad was so insecure about every single show he did. He'd come home and he said, was, did I sound okay? Did I do a good job? And my mom, yes, Herb, <laughs> you did a good job. Every show. And I remember ratings. When ratings came out, he would be physically ill. Mm -hmm. I know. I've heard that, you know. Physically ill. Because he always said, I could do better. I can do better. I can do better. And so um, I, I feel sometimes, you know, when people take swipes at him, I feel like, God, the poor guy was trying so hard to be the best he could be. But again, his insecurities of from where he came from. I think always fed into his life, always a fear of abandonment. Like if those listeners weren't listening and his ratings went down, mm -hmm. he was left again, you know? So for him, it was, it was a hard thing for him to do. And I don't know if a lot of people realize that, but he dealt with his, his demons of being abandoned and being left and, and not good enough. So, so for him, 
I, I think that's why I think this story is so great from where he came from and how he clawed his way. And a lot of people said, oh, he's awfully, he's awfully confident. You know, who calls himself Herb Oscar Anderson? Three names. Who does that? Who is this guy? You know, Mr. Herb Oscar Anderson. Oh, Herbie. <laughs> he had to believe in himself because he didn't have anybody else. See, I never, I, I never heard what you're uh, saying right now because everybody that I knew in the uh, broadcasting industry was in awe of your father. And well, again, that's nice to hear. No, sir, I, I am not. <laughs> it was such a very talented man. I think I, I told you uh, this story one day, and I was in high school. It was a Saturday morning, and I was in the kitchen, my parents' house, and was listening to him up here in Albany, and. He was making it a personal appearance. I'd like you to stop by. And I remember looking up at the radio and thinking to myself, oh, Jay Herb, I'd like to be there, but I live up here in Albany. And then all of a sudden I thought he had that ability to communicate. And I started apologizing <laughs> to the radio. I mean, he was just a wonderful communicator and a very nice man. And that came through on the radio. Yeah, he did. I, uh, I mean, uh, I remember we were traveling somewhere and there was a gentleman that said, Herb, before you go, we had like a a little camper that we were going. And my dad only had, I think, a week, a year vacation. You know, he worked Saturdays, worked holidays. And so he, um, his name, I think, was Frank Greco. And he came running out through, past this busy highway and brought my dad, like, these, I don't know how many pounds of hot dogs. It was like, Herb, take this with you on your trip. Cause I'm sure my dad said something we're going on a trip, but it seemed like he was always, people were, uh, I don't want to say giving him stuff, but they were always, I think he also, Frank Greco, wasn't he one part of the 484 club? Oh, you don't know. Don't know. The 484 club was, uh, people would call in and they would give, uh, traffic. And Oh, I, I know about yeah from different gas stations. I remember that. And then, yeah. uh, Evident, that evidently that had to stop because, yes. because the people were the those that would call him were developing a following. Yeah, I think he was a 484 member that, and he would run across the street and hear Herb take these hot dogs on your trip with you, and and they became celebrities himself. And I think also a gentleman who did the Long Island Railroad. Um, I can't his name ex, uh, Lou. I can't his name escapes me, but he also too was another gentleman. Uh, that my dad sort of just would talk to on the radio, giving the Long Island Railroad. And I have a poster of the two of them standing in front of a railroad car, and he became a uh, uh, celebrity on, uh, on the radio. And also, I think a gentleman in New Jersey who had an ice cream store just recently, this was probably during the, um, the, the uh, CBS rock and roll greats, that he wanted to become a disc jockey. And my dad was like, I encourage you, go ahead and do it. And now he's a disc jockey down in New Jersey, but he had an ice cream store. I know that story. Yeah. yeah. So can you, is there any that I'm missing on it? Or no, is that pretty I, much I, it? I just know that story. That's yeah. All. Yeah. So yeah, he always was reaching out. And I think my dad said that people would come in and visit and talk to him and always talk to him and about radio. And, and he would always encourage people, which I think, is sort of lacking nowadays. It's very hard to connect with people. People don't want to help or talk to you or, you know what I mean? Back then it was like my dad's studio was, people could come in. Well, your dad was very uh, well liked at WABC off the air as well. And in fact, I know that every day when he got off the air, he would go downstairs to the uh, network mail room and to get his mail. Obviously that's why I go to the mail room, but yeah. all the uh, staff in the working in the mail room appreciated 
you know, his stuff again. And he was very, always very respectful of everyone. Yeah. I never knew that either. I always thought he'd just hightail at home because I knew he was tired. But yeah, because I think he got home. Uh, I think John asked me yesterday what your dad was on from six to 10. What time would he get home? And I think it usually was like around 1130. So but yeah. Well, he, many times, uh, because he was so popular, sponsors wanted to meet him. So as soon as he got off the air, he would have to uh, go with uh, an account executive and meet with the client and have uh, breakfast with them. And sometimes he would have a breakfast and then have to go meet with another client and have an early lunch. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder my dad was a big man. <laughs> but I don't think he would turn. So there's really meal. no need for your mom yeah. to cook. <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah, she always did because he always said nobody cooks better than Terry. I, I would never go to a restaurant. I'd rather eat at home. So, oh wow. So WABC. That was like. Uh, was there any other radio station? Was WMCA equal to, or was like WABC like the the the? Well, in top forty radio. Uh, WABC was it, but also uh, you had WMCA New York, which was a 5,000-watt radio station at 570 on the dial, but at the lower end of the dial, your signal would go further. And then the other uh, station was uh, owned by Westinghouse Broadcasting, 50,000-watt WINS, 1010 Winds, New York, and they had uh, Murray the K on and people like that. So uh, WABC now is a talk radio, isn't it? Yeah, but with the exception of, uh, they're actually their mornings, the ratings just came out uh, about two weeks ago, and their mornings are number one again. And then on the weekends, they uh, do a recreation with uh, Cousin Brucey. He does uh, Saturday night, and they use the original WABC jingles and everything like yeah. that. In fact, a friend of mine who was on Facebook was down in Florida, and he was listening to uh, WABC pounding down the uh, coast, and they he said a little thing on Facebook, listening to Cousin Brucey yeah. on WABC after all these years. Yeah, it was a, it, it meant a lot. I know, John, your uncle listened to Dad. Yeah, he sure did. In fact, when I sent him, <clears throat> excuse me, I sent him over uh, just an air check, a, a, a fast one. And, he, and I said, hey, did you ever listen to this guy? And he wrote back all caps, yes, exclamation point. And was, he said that was the top 40 station of the time. He's like, that's all we listened to in the morning going to school. And he get dropped off at school from his parents with to listen to. So it was. Yeah. And happy feeling, right? Yep. That, well, happy feeling your mom sang to you. Uh, no, good morning to you. Or the uh, good morning song. Oh, hello, hello again. again. Hello again. Hello again. And yeah. my grandmother used to sing that to me. Oh. Yep. Spe- speaking of that uh, happy feeling, uh, you and I talked about this uh, the other day. There was um, a kid that was in the uh, hospital and he sent your father a letter asking if your father would sing that happy feeling to him. And your dad uh, sang it to him and dedicated it to him in the uh, hospital. And the little boy heard it. And about an hour later, after you know this, after your dad heard, the boy died. And your father was kind enough when he learned that he was very, he was, you know, devastated. And he was so glad that he sang the song, but he went to the parents' house and brought flowers and spoke with them and offered his condolences. Your dad was a real nice guy. I didn't know that either. Can you tell him a fan? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't sure. know that either. <laughs> I know that story that the little boy had asked him to sing it, but I didn't know to what extent. And I'm sure he was probably pressed to push that in because he had so many commercials to do, and but he did take a lot of requests, well, right? The funny, the funny story about that is Murray Barber was his yeah. producer, and that particular day, he didn't want to sing the song. 
and Murray said, you're going to sing it. And uh, they started the instrumental, so he had to sing it. <laughs> and then he didn't realize Murray had, you know, never told him why he wanted to sing it. And then after he sang it, he said that the little boy was in the hospital. Oh, <laughs> Murray. Yes, I know Murray. I grew up with Murray. He was, yeah, yeah. I can imagine Murray said, you're going to sing it and put it in. Dad's probably wondering. Well, he gave him no choice. He just, yeah. <laughs> the song started. So like, What's your dad going to do? That was yeah. the beauty of live radio. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so many neat stories. So uh, what personally did your, my dad, was he sort of like a mentor, did you? Or what, did you sort of listen to him? Because obviously you wanted to get in radio because you were in radio for 60 years. Uh, did you just follow the top disc jockeys to learn how to be a disc jockey? Or? Well, you know, I would listen to the uh, radio stations in Albany, New York, and I would go uh, visit WABY, which was a top 40 station in Albany, and uh, WTRY, which was a top 40 station in Albany. In fact, when I was 16 years old in high school, I, uh, WTRY hired me to do a Sunday night. So, uh, oh, you so- know, so I started off. But I, I think I told you this on the phone the other day, my... Listening was living in Albany, New York. I would listen to fifty thousand watt WABC in the morning, and listen to your dad. And then middays, fifty thousand watt WBZ in Boston gets in Albany. I would listen to Dave Maynard. And then in the afternoon, I would listen to Dan Ingram on WABC. And then at night, I would listen to Dick Biondi on fifty thousand watt WKBW. And then Dick left KBW, went out to fifty thousand watt WLS in Chicago, also an ABC station. So I would follow them, and I felt. Living in Albany, New York, it was like going to Harvard Radio School. These right. were my teachers. And the one thing I was able to thank your dad, I was able to thank uh, Dave Maynard, I was able to thank, uh, da- thank Diane Ingram and Dick Biondi for what they did for me. You're, you know, I'm starting to get missed. You know, your father did a lot for me. Well, I, I know uh, he loved you coming up and visiting him. That was... I, there's something about radio people. I mean, just listening to you rattle well, off all those radio stations and disc <laughs> jockeys and John's over here nodding. It's like a, it's like you have your own little community. You, you, uh, you rattle off these things and I'm, it's a fraternity for sure. It is. It and is. the broadcast people are unique. Yeah. Just ask our wives. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No kidding. I'm not married, but you know, <laughs> I was engaged when I was doing when I was doing mornings in West Virginia. Um, I was also production director, so I would kind of the same thing how your dad used to do. He'd come home and say, "How'd I sound today?" Yeah, 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 yeah. I would come home, and my poor ex fiance, um, I would play the commercials that I cut that day. I would play. What do you think of this one? What do you think of this one? Listen, to what I did today is this pretty funny? And I would and I would do that like for three hours when I got home, because you, you know. There's a certain level, and I, I and I would I would hate to call it narcissism because it's not, but like it, it um I I needed to have the the reassurance that it was okay because right. yeah because honestly you got thousands of people listening to what you're doing, they're not giving you feedback right so you are the people that you that you love and trust and as much as it drives them insane like your mom must have been yeah. like so tired of having to. <laughs> reassure him that he's yeah. okay that, that he was the best ever yeah you know what i mean did but, a good job but it goes hand in hand because but then at the same time you almost want someone to be that way because it means that they care versus like oh i'm sure it sounds fine and the, i mean i'm sure like for instance you probably can't listen to a station you you probably monitor a station when you listen to it right do you when you're driving around do you find when yourself kind of like uh in broadcasting and listen to differently yeah because you, you hear stuff that the average listener won't listen to. You'll, right. you'll, be, you'll be looking for seamlessness. What they do that for. <laughs> exactly, right? So, like, what was that? What was so that? give us an example of what, what do you listen for when you listen to a station? 
Well, I, I listened to the execution of uh, the format. I mean, that's that's kind of a difficult uh, question to answer. And, you know, whether the person on the air will go on talking too long, you know, there's a, one thing uh, I was always told that I did great was that I uh, always moved forward. I never stopped down. And because, mm-hmm. and I, you know, having started out in top 40 radio, you learn that you just boom, 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 keep moving along. Yeah. Keep it short and to the point. Right. Well, yeah. Listening to a show of my dad's, it was just bam, bam, bam. One thing after another, there was no going back. It was like you said, always going forward, forward, forward. Cause there was music that had to be played. There was ads that had to be done. Now uh, my dad, he, um, he did a lot of the ads. Was that common back then? I mean, well, was it, he copywriting it, them? He was, he was it, writing it, on himself? No. Well, I, no, you would, get a, you, you would get a talent fee for live reads. And then, of course, you had your uh, produced commercials as well. So you had, uh, you know, produced commercials and then you had live commercials. Okay. One thing about your uh, dad, and I told you about this uh, on the phone the other day. In New York City, there was a bank called the Bowery Savings Bank. I'm not sure if it's there yet. And they would buy one commercial a day on radio. And it was 8 o'clock on your father's show Monday through Friday. And there were ads in the national trades just showing how you know, successful the Bowery Savings Bank was because of running a show on running a commercial on the Herb Oscar Anderson show. And your dad didn't do the show. It was a jingle. Oh. Yeah, brother, your dad didn't do the commercial. It was it, a jingle. It was jingle. That That's amazing. Yeah. So what positions have you, like, have you always been strictly, strictly on air or, or have you held other positions in the station as well? You know, well the, or... Until last August, I was disc jockey, public affairs director. I would do the FCC quarterlies for our uh, six radio stations in the Albany Center, Detroit Market, and the five uh, radio stations of the Glens Falls, uh, Lake George Market. And also, for quite a few years, I did uh, a TV show on uh, w- the uh, Ion Station in the Albany, uh, WYPX TV in the Albany Market, and that show would air in Albany. Syracuse and in Buffalo. So, what was the show? What were you doing? It was just an, uh, an interview show. Okay. You know, just you know, people in the uh, capital region, and also I did uh, public affairs shows uh, for years and already broadcasting as well. Got it. So, what was what was the biggest thing? I mean, you started off obviously. I mean, you you went in at sixteen, and then you started to to gain in, momentum in nineteen sixty three. What what was the what was the most important move you ever made as far as like either as a jock yourself that made you a better jock like was there ever like a piece one piece of information that you got or or advice that that made you take that next level up like that was well the most important thing that ever happened to me I was hired by uh, Capital Cities Broadcasting which uh, started here in Albany New York with uh, Channel Ten and uh, WROW Radio and uh, that became the largest. They became so large, starting in Albany, New York, that they ended up buying the ABC Radio and Television Network and being hired by uh, Cap Cities in May of 69. I stayed there at the same station. They changed owners through the years until uh, August of last year. So before we got on the air, we we're talking about the fact I just said yesterday about, you know, you haven't you haven't made it in radio you've been fired. <laughs> And then you came in here and totally turned that theory on its head because you've been in the same the same place for this long. Well, I've been, but, I've been very I've been very very lucky. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. I mean it, it speaks. It Stop speaks, laughing. It speaks volumes. Well, it speaks. It's different styles. Listen, I'm, Howard Stern was who made me want to do it. I saw private parts and I was like, that's what mm-hmm. I want to do. But when I was a child, I used to lay in front of the. I used to lay down in front of a stereo every night and and record. You know, whoever it was. Um, we had a local station in town, WDHI, 
um, that I listen to every day, especially in wintertime for, for school closings. Yeah, very important. Um, and it, it's just, I was just always in love with broadcasting, you know, and then I eventually got into it. But that, I think I was going for more that I wanted to be a shock jock, not a bad shock jock, but I wanted to be one that, that, that got people's attention and kept people coming back, which is what I did in Myrtle Beach. I mean, I eventually, the, 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 I almost got fired um, once, but I got promoted instead. And that's when I went from mornings to nights. I was doing Sunday mornings. You did Sunday nights, but I was doing Sunday mornings because no one listens on Sunday morning um, to a rock station because they're all hungover and asleep. So uh, I got tired of being given lousy prizes to give away. Nobody cared about movie passes. You know, and if you're doing, if you're, if you're trying to get you're a, golden today, right? Exactly. But back then they didn't, that's all I ever had. I had those and I had two free, uh, you know, hamburgers at Wendy's to give away. So one morning there's a new, there was a guy who ended up, he recently passed away, but he went on to do big things in radio. He was a guy that I was actually training on the board. And, um, he said, why don't you have somebody call in from church for something? And this is in South Carolina. So yeah, you're not allowed to call in from church in South Carolina. That's, no. that's not a good idea. <laughs> and, um, so I did. I, I, I raided the morning show folder and I took out tickets to a stained was coming to House of Blues. They hadn't they, they, it wasn't even announced yet. And I had someone calling from church and the first couple of calls were fake. Finally, this nine year old kid calls in. I'm sitting there and I said, I said, I don't believe you that you're yeah. in church. And as I'm saying that to the kid, the choir fires up <laughs> and the audio was amazing. Then the hotline goes off. Which you know that if the hotline goes off, that is not, usually it's not a good thing if you're getting hotline in the middle of it when you're on the air. It's not good. So I close out the thing. The bit was amazing. Mm-hmm. Let's just be clear. The bit yeah. was great. It was one of the, one of the best bits I ever did. Yeah. And um, my boss called me up and he said, leave. I will call you during the week. That was it. So I heard yeah. nothing from like Sunday morning <laughs> until Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. And I got called back in. He said, come to my office and see me. And he sat me down. And you said, you almost cost us a $15,000 promotion by what you did because that hadn't been announced yet. And so I announced that this band was coming in and, okay. and it was supposed to be announced in the morning show because we, we had the presents rights on it. And that, that was like, you know, I didn't know what I had done wrong. You know, I was just, I just wanted a better prize. I told him, I said, I, I said, well, I said, you guys have been giving me movie passes for the last six months. I said, no one wants to play my games anymore. I'm like, so what do you want me to do? And he said, stay out of the morning show folders for one. He said, you almost got fired. He said, but what do you think about doing nights? And so <laughs> I went from there to nights and I brought it from, I brought it from a two share to a 12, my first book. And the GM that got rid of me said it was the music that brought the ratings up. Eh, what do you, I mean, do you think that the music, music does its own, but if the jock is garbage, no one's going to listen because they don't want to hear him talk. That's right. That's right. And that's, I'm thinking of what your father said. He would talk about the other, uh, top 40 radio stations in the New York City market and how they were compared to WABC and the ratings. And he said, it's the same songs. It's just what happens between the records that's doing it. Yeah, that's true. Your father said that. Mm-hmm. Remembering a lot of great things he told. What you asked me one thing uh, that happened to me. I was very fortunate to be happy, hired at WTRY in high school. And the uh, program director at the time, Lee Gray, had a personal relationship with the Beatles and uh, we would get all of the Beatle records. And WTRY was very successful at Rick Snyder, who did uh, 7 to Midnight, in this in this market, pulled a 61 share 
at the time. We uh, sixty-one share, right? And we were like pull twenty-five to thirty percent, you know, you know, and that, and I would pull those. I was eventually I was doing Saturdays and Sundays and vacation fill-in, and I was you know part of that. And it was it was like going to Harvard Radio School to working with all of those wonderful people there, and they were very nice to me. They treated this high school and college kid with respect, which uh, you know, and I've always tried to do with. Uh, you know, people that I've worked with over the years to start in the business. It's because they get, because they, they can get treated badly by the by people all the time. I mean, I definitely used to get shrugged off when I first came into the station. I used to get shrugged off all the time by the people that I used to listen to. I was like starstruck. Yeah. You know, and then after a year in the building with them, they, you know, they're just your coworkers, which is, which was great. That's, I can see you being, I can see you being like, with all due respect, like the de facto grandfather for the new kid that comes in and being like, what do I do? Well, you know, I'm sure you've given a lot of advice well, over hope, the years. I hope so. I'm, as you should, because I you've been never fired before. I cannot believe, I mean, I can believe it, but I'd like the only other guy that I've known that's never been fired from where he is, is a guy that was in West Virginia. And he'd been at the station for 22 years and was making the same salary he was making when he came in. So I don't, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, the money part of radio? Well, these it, was, days? it was always fine for me. I mean, you always, you always just made well, again, it work. I, I started working for Capital Cities Broadcasting and, uh, you got in early, you no, know, you know, and when, when I was hired where I left last year at WRW and channel 10 and, uh, we at the time had uh, better benefits than working for New York state. So, you know, I'm just always. Yeah, you know, it was always great. And my wife uh, was in the newspaper business and, uh, you know, and we were very fortunate to live in our hometown because our son grew up in our hometown knowing his grandparents and having a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. By the way, talking about music, uh, and this used to drive the disc jockeys at WABC uh, crazy, but uh, WABC only played 14 records. And you had to play the number one song once an hour because what they ha- what they realized is they had an audience turnover of seven and a half minutes. So every seven and a half minutes they had a new audience. So they wanted people when they tuned in to be hearing a hit, and they had to play the number one song once an hour. I would hate that. That was like this past summer when you you turned on the radio, you heard that stupid uh, Stranger Things song. I'm running up that hill. Did you hear that over the summer? It was on. Every day on the radio. Remember, I said I don't listen to the radio. Well, <laughs> be glad you weren't this summer because you would have driven your car off the road. But I do like your imitation of it. Maybe I would have liked that song. <laughs> it was an '80s song that came back because of a stupid TV show. Oh, an '80s. And song. it was, and it I was. Should know that it was on. I it, it was that was the once an hour song. But if I would change stations, I would still be hearing. I mean, if I just ran through, yeah. That like my mom's in Philadelphia, and I just ran through the stations. It was on three out of five as I was playing it every, you know, every quarter or top of the hour. It was always playing. It was yeah. terrible. And I think my dad never said who was, who who was singing. My dad said, "If you didn't know by now, the top ten, <laughs> me telling you who it is is not going to help you out because like like Joe said, they played it so often. You know, number ten, uh, the Shirelles or whatever. They he said by the time. Everybody knew who it was, so my dad sort of got a little bit of uh, heat for never saying. I remember at uh, CBS weekend, they were saying, I think it was Joe McCoy, that dad never said who was singing, but he said, hey, they should know. They should know. That's amazing that the turnover was was that uh, 
quick, seven and a half minutes, mm -hmm. a new listening audience? Yeah, they had a new audience every seven and a half minutes. That's, <clears throat> that's what the research showed. So that's why they had such a tight playlist. Also, another thing about your dad, he was so uh, popular, and WABC had a, a tremendous relationship with uh, Palisades Park, and they used to ask your dad to go over and MC shows at Palisades Park, and finally he said, look, I'm getting up in the morning. I can't be MCing shows at night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he would show up. He said, you know, if a garage door was opening, I would, you know, a lot of the disc jockeys would have to show up. It was just part of the job. And he said, I can't do it. Like you said, he was up at 3.30 in the morning to get in to the city. He had to drive and get in. So it was it was uh, tiring, I think. Being that long at that time slot was hard. So, so here's a question. Okay. <clears throat> for um, This is regarding both for you and for HOA. Did okay. Did he ever have any stalkers from listeners like you ever have something that with like any weirdos because i mean there's always weirdos that call in and yeah. and they scare you so yeah. like did you did your dad ever have any situations like that yeah uh, the movie that i uh, script that i wrote has this one particular woman um that stalked my dad for for whenever he was on wabc and she would show up like i said at garage door openings but um her mind you see, uh, as I wrote this screenplay, a lot of people told me, well, Herb Oscar Anderson needs to be a character in it. And I said, but you don't understand. My father was a voice, and this woman really shows that. My dad was doing the McNeil Breakfast Show, which you yeah, would he, feel in Good Morning uh, Breakfast I'll, Clubbers. I'll elaborate on that. Tom McNeil... Breakfast Club, we met, we talked about it earlier, was a nationally broadcast show on the ABC radio network. And when Don McNeil would go on vacation, your father was so talented that they would fly your dad out to uh, Chicago and he would do the show. Right. So this, this particular woman followed my father out to Chicago and um, she confronted him. She said, who are you? You are an imposter. My Herb Oscar Anderson is middle-aged with gray hair. He wears a fedora and a cape and walks with a cane. You're not Herb Oscar Anderson. And she would show up, and she was always looking for her Herb Oscar Anderson. He was, he was an imposter. He was an her. imposter. So, <laughs> How about you, Mr. Condon? Did you, did you have any, any craziness like that happen? Not going to talk about it. Oh. Oh. Well. He must have been. <laughs> we'll just take that as a yes more and than, move on. All right, let me ask you this. More than one? Not going to talk about it. Oh, jeez. Okay. Oh, well, he's been on the air for sixty years, I'm sure. Well, because you get, you know, you get the people that are that are mentally ill that listen. We used to have a guy in South Carolina that would call in and tell me all of. He would just go on these manifesto rants on the phone. We used to just let him go and record yeah. some of it, and then sometimes play it over the air because it was funny. But oh. that could have gotten us killed. Yeah. Uh, the um, it it goes beyond the usual like the prize patrol people that show up for their free CDs and their slice of pizza yeah. wherever you go. I I don't think my dad he had a lot of people um that was uh this one gentleman who lives out in California who we still hear from he didn't have a father and he was dad was his father. He had a lot of people like that mm -hmm. that were like oh you don't know what you you did for me. You know? Well that's good. That's yeah, yeah, he had that I never heard, only except that one woman that just sort of showed up for years looking for Herb Oscar Anderson. But um, I don't ever think, my dad had a lot of 
like uh, I remember uh, probably the reason why I never drank or experimented with drugs. There was this young gentleman who was brilliant. Somebody put LSD on a potato chip and they told him he was an egg and they were going to step on him. This guy would walk everywhere and he had like three black labs that would follow him everywhere. I was terrified. And this man would show up. I would say he was probably in his late 20s. Would show up and walk pacing the floor back and forth, back and forth. And my dad would talk to him for hours. And I just remember I was terrified. I was like, this guy scared the bejesus out of me. I was maybe eight, nine years old, but I knew what happened to him. And he would just come and talk to my dad. And my dad would sit down with him and talk, talk for hours just to try to get him through whatever he was going through. And this happened uh, for the four years that we lived in that particular house. And um, that's just the way my dad was. He would just... He didn't have to take time to talk to this guy, but for some reason, this guy felt like he could talk to my dad, and my dad brought him down whatever he was experiencing. But yeah, that's a lot of. Your dad once said uh, to me that New York City is a city filled with lonely people all living in little cubicles. Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, yeah. avoid basically a, a DJ keeps a lot of lonely people company. Right. It's the connection. And that's what I think my dad wanted to have a connection with his listeners. And I think he was successful at having a connection because he wanted that just as bad as the listeners wanted it, you know, from his growing up. He wanted to have that connection mm -hmm. without necessarily knowing if they're leaving until the ratings came out. That's when he would find out, are they there or are they not here? And he would, he told me a story, and I don't know if you know this one, Joe, where he would tell his secretary, go pick 13 names out of a telephone book and ask them who they're listening to. And he said, that's my form of ratings. And pretty much every one of them came back and said, they're listening to you. And he said, that's, that's how I know if they're listening. And that's back when they still had books, right? People were still writing them in diaries. Were there diaries back then? Or was it? Sure. Yeah. What is, it, what is a diary? A podcast, a ratings diary. Where you, would rate, you know, you had Hooper and then you have Nielsen now and you have Arbitron, which uh, Nielsen bought out, where you would indicate what your radio station or television station you're listening to or watching. At oh. a certain hour. So if okay. you had it on, you had to write down, you know, about it in your diary. You had to write down. So how did they choose these people? Random. Random. And people would, would do it. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Now, true story. When I was in West Virginia, my, uh, my, my ex-fiance's boss worked of a state. Uh, her husband was a diary holder. Oh. And she told me that when she came back. She goes, what's it mean if they have a diary? And I, and I looked up over it. I said, what do you mean? And she said, you know, she's like, someone so something has a diary. I said, I said, you tell him to keep me on every morning. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one else worth listening to. <laughs> so that's how many people would they, how many people would they send oh, it out to? Th thousands. I mean, and millions. Well, of it depends people. on the size of the market. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that would determine the size of the sample. And then also, too, you get people that say they will participate. And then they end up not participating. So, yeah, you know, you send them the diary and they, they never get it back. Because they don't get anything back for it. They don't get any. They, they, did they get paid for that? Yeah, like a dollar or something, you know. <laughs> a dollar? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I have, that's, what I've heard over, that's what I've heard over the years. The thing, when you work in broadcasting, if you get a call from a Nielsen or what used to be Arbitron, uh, you're not allowed to participate. 
So uh, I know uh, some friends over the years would get a diary. They say, "Hey, uh, you know, I, you know, I wrote it that I was listening to you and stuff like that." So you know, but that's how they did. Yeah, and now they actually in in the top fifty markets, they can actually uh, monitor real time how many are going. Do you guys have that here? Is that is yeah? That's in this market as well. Yeah, and it has to do with an actual uh, with a sensor that they carry on them. Yeah, yeah. And how long would they keep these diaries? Year? Well, you, six you, months. It's it's. I think it's like a week or two. Oh, okay. You do fall and spring, right? That's what it is. Fall and spring. Book. Well, it, no, it's in this market. It's quarterly. Okay. In, in the smaller market, it's uh, semi-annual. Well, I just amazed it when I get so confused, Joe, and that's why I love to have you here is because I see how many stations my dad was on from the Midwest down to Florida, back to the Midwest, over to uh, you know Iowa, back and forth, um, and he was everywhere, everywhere, and he just leapfrogged, and he wasn't anywhere very long. And uh, I can't keep it straight. I really don't. I... Your dad your dad once said to me that uh, Kathy and I were very fortunate that we stayed in our hometown and didn't lead that kind of life. Yeah, yeah, because I know my dad was married once before, and uh, he had an opportunity to go to Iowa, and she was not having any part of it. And so she got the newborn baby, and... She wanted to stay in that town, and she eventually married a man that opened up, I guess, a, sh- a shoe store or something like that. She wanted that kind of life. But I just look at my dad hopping here, going there, this and that. It was uh, a lot of moving around, a lot of moving around. Is that normal for a disc jockey, or do they sort of stay in the same area? I mean, like most of the disc jockeys on WABC, I think a lot of them were from New York or around the surrounding area. Right. Yeah. So here comes this big med- Midwestern Swede blockhead coming in. You know, I can imagine. Very talented. Yeah, talented, yes. But I can imagine he, they're like, who is this guy? You know, what does he know about New York City? Uh, you know, coming out of the, the farm belt. So that was, uh, he was lucky. He, he reached where he wanted to go. And uh, that I'm very happy for that. That's really the story is how you could start from nothing and just believe in yourself and get to where you want to go through just a lot of hard work. So, yeah. Thank you so much for coming in today. It's an honor. Yeah. And and who knows, Joe, we may call you back. Well, you guys are very welcoming. And also to your father did a lot for me. It did a lot for Kathy and myself. And uh, we'll never forget that. Well, Joe, I'm, you know, you mean a lot to us. And so I'm just so happy that you took the time to take away and uh, come here and spend your morning with us, filling us in about radio, which it's a time gone by. We will catch you on the next episode. And I know that we'll hear from uh, Mr. Condon again. Thank you so much for, for coming in here. Thank well, you. we're honored to be talking about Herb Oscar Anderson. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Oh, we got to do the happy feeling one more time. Do you remember? (laughs) All right, let's do it, everybody, one more time. When I was a little feller, my papa used to say to me, Son, you'll find that happy feeling a simple technicality. Now, Thanks again for listening to the Return of the Morning Mayor podcast. 
If you're hearing my voice right now, there's a good chance you want to hear more about HOA. The story of the man behind the morning mayor is one that certainly needs to be told, and a goal is to have this story made into a movie. The script is written, and your support will help us get to the next level. If you feel motivated to do so, click the Donate button in the About section. All proceeds will go towards seeing the story of Herbert Oscar Anderson on the big screen. Goodbye, God bless, and I thank you so very much.